Hi, this is Russell Glasser, host of The Atheist Experience. You know, The Atheist Experience is made possible by volunteers and the generous support of viewers like you. If the promotion of positive atheist culture and separation of church and state are values that you hold, please consider contributing by becoming an ACA member or visiting our product page at EvolveFish.com under the Partner tab. Thank you. I'm assuming that we're live. All right, this is Atheist Experience. We're live this week. Uh, I can't... Oh, there. Now I can hear myself. Can you hear yourself, John? Yeah. Hey, and we're assuming that we can hear callers. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, it is uh, Sunday, some date. I think it's the 9th of August. Is that right? 9th of August, 2015. So we're doing this little experiment uh, in, uh, in our building. Uh, a couple of years ago, the Atheist Community of Austin... Uh, block building, which we set up as a library. I'll shoot some videos showing, you know, the other books. Here's some of them, but, you know, it's several rooms full of books, and they're using it uh, as a public access studio. I just realized a problem. I have no idea what camera to look at. I was wondering that, too. Is there yeah. just going to be a red light? Well, it's just, I, I could probably get the stream on my phone, but it's going to be delayed by a couple minutes. Anyway, uh, so what happened, uh, in case you weren't able to tune in last week, is... We're, we're moving out of the public access studio at least temporarily, possibly permanently. Um, last week we did a show here with uh, uh, Jeff D and uh, Joe Zemecki, mm -hmm. and they took live calls over Skype. Uh, we'll have the information up, but if you're going to try to connect by Skype or by Google Hangout, do not call. Do not initiate a Hangout or a call. Just send a message. On Skype, it's The Atheist Experience. And on Google Hangout, it's atheist.experience at gmail.com. Uh, there's somebody in there that will talk to you. Please be patient. We've got one person trying to track all the contacts who are uh, messaging us, and, and some of them are already queued up and ready. And we'll uh, then make outgoing calls to those people when it's time to put them live on the show. Now, this may end up being our permanent home. We're not completely sure. I mean, the building's our permanent home, but this may be the permanent home for the show. We're going to try to continue to make improvements and, and see how this goes. Uh, please bear with us. Uh, for a minute there, we couldn't even hear ourselves talk, and we weren't sure if we were live. Yeah, and I'm not even sure I'm going out because I can't hear myself anymore. So. I, I can hear you. Okay. Um, and so... Okay, good. And there's there's your little volume control right there. So yes, I definitely hear you. But, uh, yeah, and it was good to see Joe Zemecki again. We haven't seen him for a while. Um, that was cool. Oh, I completely forgot. I'm Matt Delaney. This is John Iacoletti. Howdy. Welcome to the Atheist Experience. This reminds me, you know, when we, when we had to move the show to my living room, we did, like, the ghetto shows for a while. Yeah. Uh, and, and, of course, it was uh, a lot of great work by Frank at the time uh, to make it happen. Uh, I think we've got almost everything set up for a three-camera shoot with two mics, two hosts, uh, some water that's empty. Oh, 
You're fired. No. <laughs> I have another drink. Let's go ahead and uh, try this out by trying to take the first caller. We've got Ryan in Fayetteville. We're going to connect here real quick, and they'll let me know just as soon as he's he's connected. Um, so yeah, we're in we're in a mild transition period here, and. We got a, got a lot of good feedback on email about the audio being much better than it is at the studio. So uh, we know that it had some problems at the studio. So we're, we're glad that, that that's working well here. Yeah. And if you previously had called in on the telephone using using that number, um, you don't want to do that anymore because that goes to the old public access studio. Now you'll be calling somebody else's show. Um, but we're going to be. Uh, trying to set up a phone system in addition to Hangout and Skype. But the nice thing is is that this will let us connect with callers around the world a little easier, people who didn't want to make like a long-distance phone call. And after the show's over, whereas we had been going to Threadville's, and I think it, or uh, El, Arroyo. El Arroyo, and I think it says El Arroyo, El Arroyo on the website, we're going to be going to a restaurant called Chico's right here on uh, Candy Lane, and I'm sure that Mark will put the address up for you. Ryan, are you there? Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, I really appreciate all the work you guys have done um, for uh, just for the show. And not only Matt, your lectures and debates really impacted me. So I wanted to say thank you. Thank you very much. What do you got for us? Um, well, just give you a little bit of information. My dad's a Bible literalist, a young earther, evangelical, mm-hmm. that kind. And uh, I gave religion a shot when I was growing up. I tried to pray and study the Bible a lot. He would actually pay me off to <laughs> to learn Bible verses, but it only made me disbelieve more. And uh, yeah, I think that happens I quite a bit. It, was that? I think that happens quite a bit. That you know, for people who spend time studying the Bible, uh, some people end up believing more strongly, and some people find their way out fairly easily once they start finding issues. But you're talking about your dad, so go ahead. Yeah. Well. Uh, as I started growing up and I wanted to uh, <clears throat> I wanted to start getting deeper into religion, but kind of in the opposite direction because I wanted to pull him back into reality. And uh, so whenever I've been debating him, uh, my debates have been very successful because of the things you do on the show. That's why I thanked you earlier. And uh, my question is actually about uh, the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of discussing this verse with him. And I was wondering, kind of wanted to get your idea on it, see if it was even going to be worthy of being brought up. And uh, whenever I was reading it, it was Genesis 11, verse 5. And it kind of gave me an uh, Iron Chariots moment, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that verse is, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language which they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will become impossible for, for right. them. And let us go down and confuse their language so they won't understand each other. And I, I always thought that was one of the most beautiful things that I've read in the Bible. It's God actually admitting that if we work together, we can do anything. Yeah, this is this is precisely the point I made um, uh in Australia, and then in a video shortly afterwards. I mean, the entire Tower of Babel story is only full about four verses. I think it's like fourth or eight yeah. or something like that. Um, and what I was taught growing up, and what I think most people were taught growing up, is, oh, these people were arrogant. They were trying to build a tower to God. Uh, because yeah. that's what a lot of churches will tell you. But that's not what the passage says at all. 
um, with the passage, it says actually they were trying to build a tower that would reach into the heavens, but that's just a generic word. And basically they're saying, we want to build a really tall tower. Look at us. We are one community. We want to stay together. We want to show you know, that we can work together and do things. So we're going to build this amazingly tall tower so that everybody will be able to, you know, to see it. You'll be able to find your way back to town. And, and, and this is us working together for a solution. And the, the verse that you're talking about, uh, the first thing that struck me is, is kind of strange is where, where it says God comes down. I don't know why God yeah. has to keep coming down in the Old Testament. You know, <laughs> you have this notion that God, God's everywhere and sees everything. But throughout the Old Testament, he has to keep coming down uh, to find out what's going on or send a messenger down. Hey, what's going on down there in, in Sodom and Gomorrah? Um, yeah. Or I've heard things about Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's see if they're true. I mean, I, I realize that there's a lot of apologists that will say, you know, this is the language of the people at the time. And, of course, God knew all this. And this is them trying to understand God. But the, yeah. whole, the, the, the key thing about the Tower of Babel passage, to me, uh, first of all, we know that this is not the way that languages spread. Uh, we can't trace them all back exactly. to one cataclysmic you know, diversion. So we know the story is not true, at least as presented. But what God is basically saying there is, uh, I don't want cooperation and I don't want progress. You know, these people are of one mind, of one language. They're working towards good, good goals, or they're working towards goals. And if we don't put a stop to this... There's nothing that's, that's that they exactly won't that's one of the points I was actually bringing up in this. I yeah. wanted to get to that. Here, here's uh, the problem. This is a great metaphor for God and religion itself impeding on progress. And Here, I thought that'd be something. Here, here's the problem with all of it uh, that, that I raised. What you have here is the Old Testament God being explicitly in opposition to the values of humanism. Because right. humanism is about us cooperating and communicating and working towards goals to make the world better. And when you, when, you free, when you launch an objection to this to some biblical literalist, they don't have a problem with it. Because, of course, God is opposed to humanism. God is, God is here, or God is wanting us to, to meet God's goals, not our own goals. And this is where they get into the arrogance and the pridefulness. Um, but it's funny that I don't find that that objection... You know, that they're okay with God being opposed to humanism because they're going to label humanism evil anyway. So right. it might be worth it to, to step back and have a discussion before you even raise the Tower of Babel and, and kind of bait the trap a bit by asking, you know, okay, is it good for people to communicate and work towards goals to make this world better for all of us? Uh, and depending on right. what answer you get, you may or may not be able to, to reference the Tower of Babel as a potential uh, problem. Well, one of the main problems when I talk to him is he almost has this this idea, especially whenever I get into any kind of good debate, like maybe I've gotten from the Patreon or uh, any of your debates. Mm -hmm. um, he almost automatically goes to once once he's kind of been beaten at, at, out of logic, he kind of just starts going to, oh, you're the devil. The devil's actually speaking through you right now, and. So I, I've always got this weird feeling that humans don't really have a part in, in this play that's going on. If the devil can just influence anything I say that's bad, and then anything I say that's good, how, that's God. How am I supposed to have a conversation? Because what I actually say doesn't even mean anything. Yeah, I think one of the things to realize is that there are going to be occasions where conversation just isn't possible with an individual at a particular time. Um, right. if, they, if they move back to, you know, you're the devil or the devil's influencing you, 
Um, okay, then you'll have to have a discussion about that. So you've got to keep moving backwards until you find some point where you agree and then try to go forward from there. And I find well, what's most useful is to ask questions. You know, okay, well, why do you believe this? If, if you think that uh, I, I've been influenced by the devil to confuse you using logic, uh, is there a flaw in my reasoning that, that you can expose? Because if there's not, and then maybe you need to go ask God what, what right. you should say in response. That makes sense. I've done that before in emails where somebody wants to just come in and and kind of divert the conversation every time. And I'll say, look. um, I know you think that I don't understand this, and I know you think that I'm here as part of the devil's plan to deceive you. But I get tons and tons and tons of email. And so what I'd like you to do, and this would help volumes, is talk to God and find out what God thinks you should say to me next. Because... If you don't do that, that tells me a lot about how much you actually trust God and are willing to follow his plan. Uh, Yeah, that's a good point. And if you do do that and you come back with something that is something I've heard a million times, I mean, God should know what you should say to me in order to convince me that I'm wrong. And yet, curiously, (laughs) God doesn't give them this message. And yet, if they want to write it off as, oh, I'm working for the devil, well, you're working for God. Why can't God step in and tell you exactly what to say to me? such that I'm no longer working for the devil. That's a sticking point for all of you. That, that's a really good point to bring up. I don't know if John had anything to add to that. I don't. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't raised as a Christian, so I wouldn't be competent um, arguing that with somebody. I would, I would approach it from personally from somebody who's not familiar with the Scriptures and just saying, this doesn't make sense to me. I, you know, I, I couldn't argue it on the basis of, of any biblical expertise at all. Well, you're getting to the same thing, though. You're getting to the, this doesn't make sense to me. This doesn't seem like a good thing. Why do you think it's a good thing? Yeah. And so that's that's one of the things people will email and say, well, what, hey, I want to study the Bible more. I want to learn this more. And that's great. Um, I, I find it useful and valuable. But you don't have to. All you have to do is be you and be willing to sit there and say, I don't get this. Can you explain it to me? Now, why is it that you think this is a good thing? Because to me, this seems evil. Torturing, you know, people, flooding the entire world, stopping the progress of human civilization. I, I just don't grasp it. And if the response, which it occasionally will be, is something along the lines of, well, God works in mysterious ways, or we can't understand why God does anything, that doesn't resolve a thing. Yeah. All you're saying is you don't understand it either, but you're going to believe that it's a good thing, even though you would agree with me that it looks like a bad thing. Right. It's basically the answer you give when you really don't have another answer. It's like, yeah, you know, you presented a logical argument and I can't answer that, so you must be working for the devil. It, it stops conversation. It kind of says, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to believe this no matter what you say. Um, so here's my here's my fallback answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't know how you can continue after that because it's it's a struggle. And it's just because he's my dad. That's yeah. about it. Yeah, I, I get it. Um, there are a number of people in my family that I don't have conversations with anymore about religion. There are other people who I will continue to have conversations. It's not that I care about any of them any less. Uh, it's that they've expressed that they're not interested in these conversations, or that they, you know, they don't find them productive. They don't want to change their mind. Some of them even even flatly said that they're closed-minded and won't change their mind. 
And, uh, it, you know, it makes me sad. I, I care about them. I'd like to. But I, as much as I want to change the world and get rid of religion, I want people to give it up for good reasons. And so my goal is not to run around trying to forcibly get people, particularly people that I love, into arguments to where they can you know, acknowledge that they're, uh, they don't have a good reason. So I, I appreciate what you're doing with your dad. I think probably the key things uh, to remember is you may not be able to make any headway on a biblical front if any time you point on a problem, he's going to just go back to the you're the devil, you're working for the devil type of response. So one of the best things that you can do, and this probably applies to everybody, is to just let your dad know that you love him and you care about him, and that despite the fact that he might think you're working for something evil, uh, you're going to continue to be a good person and do good things, and um, that you hope this doesn't you know, negatively impact uh, the relationship, and that someday he might maybe get a word from God that would explain to you why all of these things that you do that you think are good are not. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Ryan. I appreciate it. We'll go ahead right, and get... Have a good uh, day, guys. Keep on working. Keep we'll go ahead and get uh, Nicholas in Brazil queued up for a second. Uh, I don't know. So you weren't raised, Christian, but do you have family members that you've had conversations with about this? You know, not really. Well, no. I... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say. Um, Wait, is Nicholas uh, on? No, this is still Ryan, I think. Yeah, this is still Ryan. Yeah, go okay. ahead. Go ahead, Ryan. Okay, I was just going to say, I was raised Christian. Yes. Yeah. It was deeply forced upon me. It was, like I said, he even tried to buy me off to memorize yeah. verses. So, uh. It's just, it's, it's just good ammunition. I, I still do Bible studies. Nobody had to buy me off and pay me to memorize verses. Uh, although I tend to memorize the ones that are more convenient and uh, useful for my current position than just John 3.16. Uh, although John 3.16 is kind of appalling, too. Now that, that's the for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that was here appalled. Wow, well, that, that's what leads into the whole, hey, I'm going to torture and kill myself to serve as a loophole for rules that I created, uh, which is not only... Some logically strange. It's kind of repugnant. Anyway, while, while we're waiting for them to queue up Nicholas, you were talking about... Yeah, and I, I wanted to, I guess I wanted to echo what you said to Ryan about, you know, the, the relationship with his dad. He, he's your dad. And uh, you may not be able to see eye to eye on religious matters, but the relationship's important. And, you know, if somebody's telling you you're working for the devil, it might be kind of hard to have a relationship. But if you... Um, if you can keep keep that relationship going despite your differences and discuss things in a way um, you know that's kind of peaceful, um, I think what you say to him is probably going to sink in. He's you know hard, I don't think anybody gets their mind changed immediately sure. from from a good argument. It's yeah. got especially about religion. So, but but don't but don't mistake that for your message isn't getting through on some level. And, and he may think about that, and, and over a period of time, and you know, and kind of thinks, yeah, that you know, Ryan made a good point. Um, it's not going to happen overnight, but um, that's kind of the purpose of having a conversation is for maybe the long-term effects too. So I think we've got Nicholas from Brazil on the line. But by the way, my entire page of callers just cleared out, just so the people in the control room know. Are you there, Nicholas? Yes, I'm here. Can hey, you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Thanks for calling. I'm really glad to call. It's very nice to be talking to you. It's 
it's an honor actually because you you have been very important in my life. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm much. very glad that you have Skype now because Brazil is kind of far. Yeah. For me to call. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm a biologist, and uh, I really enjoy having discussions about science. And there is something that has been coming up a lot about uh, discussing with teeth and pseudoscientists. Um, eventually, we, we can corner them uh, by countering all their arguments, uh, and they get to, well, you just got to have faith and all that. It, it always gets to that. Every time. But, and that's where it gets tricky because we need to explain to them um, why reason is so superior. Why, why is reason and the scientific method so superior to, to faith? And it's kind of hard because it does get, to, it does seem circular, you know, to explain reason with reason. So how can we get, get over that and tell them Uh, convince them that that reason is actually the best way to go. So I don't know if you want to address this, but I mean, my my take on this is really simple. Um, they already use reason all the time for everything else other than this particular one, where they want to set aside reason. So they they already see the value of reason and evidence largely. So it seems to me that the point is to expose the problem with faith. And to me, probably the best way to do that is to ask him, is there any position anyone could propose that somebody could not merely accept based on faith? And so clearly, if there's a thousand propositions, and, we, and, and if we knew that 999 of them were wrong, if we were able to assess that, but all 1,000 of them could be accepted on faith, and which would mean that faith is in no way a good way to uh, determine that you're believing something that's true or likely true. Yeah, definitely. But it, it, it does seem, seem hard to convince them in, in that particular point, you know. I mean, uh, a couple of days ago, I was talking to a cousin of mine uh, who she's studying to be a doctor. And she told me, you know, I'm not like you. Uh, I don't... I don't believe science ha is, has all this supremacy. Science... I don't believe science is this great thing, this, this thing that has all the answers. And I, I'm like, I, I don't even know how to respond to that. I mean, it's so obvious that science is the best way to... Well, to, science, <laughs> science, first of all, doesn't claim to have all the answers. We're, sure, we're sure. still looking for things. I, the the, the yeah. point is that when we're, what we're talking about is what's the best way to be fairly confident that we're finding out accurate information... Science doesn't make proclamations about truth. It doesn't say X is true. It builds models of the world that best describe the available evidence and that is best supported by uh, evidence of reason or argument. And so what we're doing is we're looking around at the world and we're saying, wow, we really would like to explain this. What's the best way to come up with an explanation? And the various methods within science have continuously demonstrated that they're the most reliable pathway to understanding. Whereas faith has never demonstrated this at all. In fact, it's demonstrated the opposite. Well, and it's kind of scary to me that she's a doctor and doesn't believe that science is a good way <laughs> yeah, to that scared me a find lot out too. stuff. <laughs> what, is, what methods does she use in treating patients um, if it's not based on science? Is it? Yeah, does, does she not recognize the distinction between 
the medicine that she practices and throwing bones and the things that the witch doctors used to do to heal people or still do in some cases, does, I mean, surely she recognizes the difference in those. She's a theist. I think that's what, what she means. She was talking about the scientific method. And uh, it's, it's very, really, really tough to, to explain why. Because so for some people, it's so obvious that, you know, there's magic and there's something guiding everything and all that. And See, it's, now, it's such a different world. I can't get around to it and have a discussion with people when it gets to that point. Yeah, now what you're talking about is more along the lines of these people have had some personal experience and they have reached the conclusion that the best explanation for that experience is something supernatural, a god or whatever, because that's what religions have offered as the explanation. So they accept these explanations, and then every time they hear another example of this, to them it becomes all this testimonial evidence starts to accumulate. Here's another person who believes what I believe. Here's another person who believes what I believe. And that strengthens it. And you've got to get back to the core and get them to, to, to think about and recognize Okay, did I have a good reason for reaching that conclusion in the first place? Because an accumulation of anecdotes doesn't mean that you now have a stronger case uh, for what you believe. And that's what they're doing. And it's like, you know, if somebody walked in right now and said it was raining, um, if I couldn't see out the window, I'd probably believe them right off the bat because that's what we do. We tend to believe and trust people, and we want to be trusted. And when you tell somebody, I don't accept, you know, what you believe. You believe that the best explanation for the universe is that a God did it. And you tell them you don't accept that. To them, even though you're not calling them a liar, that's what they might take away from it. They feel, uh, you know, personally offended. I've told you something, and you're not believing me. And they're going to take this as an affront. And every time somebody says they do believe them and they accept them, this gets piled on as extra confirmation. And it boosts their confidence level. But your confidence level in an idea has nothing to do with how true it actually is. That's just an expression of how convinced you are. And so you, you've got to kind of explain this to them so that they can say, okay, let's say for a second, just, just for a second, that I was mistaken about this, that I didn't have a good reason when I initially started believing these things. How would I go about finding good evidence uh, to confirm what I believe. And if all they can make an appeal to is faith, then, then you just can, you'll have to contrast that with how we would normally go about finding evidence. It's, you're right, it's not an easy task for a lot of people. You've got to drill down to, to basics, and you might have to talk about something that has nothing to do with religion on its face, but instead has to talk about the process that we go through to determine whether or not something is reasonable to believe. Yes, precisely. I, I knew you'd have a nice insight on this subject. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, Nicholas. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks, John, too. Thanks, Nicholas. Uh, yeah, well, well, so while we're queuing up uh, Mohammed from Dubai, um, I don't know if you had anything to add to that as well. Uh, no, just the, just what, what I was saying about she's a doctor. She should understand the scientific method more than most people, I would think. So that goes back to what you were saying about they already use reason and science in most of their life. But then they say, well, but, but science isn't always the best way to determine stuff. But I bet she prescribes medicines based on uh, things that were tested with the scientific method yeah. and treatments and antibiotics and whatever. It's just, for some reason, there's this uh, appeal, this compartmentalization that says, 
uh, yeah, I'm going to use it for my profession and most of my life, but uh, when it comes to this other thing, I'm going to just, you know, disclaim science as being the right approach, and, and I don't understand that. It's it's special pleading. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, the, I think, one of the things is, okay, when you're figuring out what dosage to give a client, are you going to rely on the scientific information, or are you just going to say, you know what, God knows everything, let me just ask God what dosage I should give this client. And by the way, if you believe in God, and you believe that God knows these things, and that he communicates with you and gives you information, if you're a doctor, why wouldn't you do it that way? The fact that doctors, who also happen to believe in God, are following the science when it comes to dosage and things like this and prescriptions, rather than just appealing to God, I think demonstrates kind of a failure of faith. One that I'm very happy with, by the way. I wouldn't want my doctor to do that. Um, but we've got Mohammed from Dubai on. Uh, how are you doing? Thanks for calling. Hello, uh, Matt. Uh, John. Hi, Mohammed. Uh, Matt, if you remember, I uh, called you a few one, uh, months ago. We were talking about that, uh, nationalism and jingoism. Yeah. We had a debate on that. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for Skyping back with us uh, at our new new headquarters. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's definitely good to keep up uh um, well, today, I mean, I wanted to uh, ask two questions, um, and they're in part relating to some of the experiences I've been talking to other people, other believers, atheists, um, and I, what I've noticed is that, and I, I mean, I might be wrong on my, in this, uh, as, uh, this uh, view, that uh, when I discuss beliefs, Especially when it comes when it comes to uh, fundamentalist Christians, the way they they uh, in terms of how they express why they believe what they believe, I find it the, amongst the least rational of, in terms of uh, of claims. I mean, f- uh, give you an example. Like from my background, when I was like you know, uh, so to speak, a fundamentalist Muslim. So, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, I mean, I would never use the term like. Okay, you're just working for the devil. I mean, that that's just a stupid argument. You know? I would, I, I was convinced that I could actually prove that Islam was the truth based on ra- pure rationalization. I, I mean, the reason for that is is the Quran itself is is the way it expresses itself is more argumentative than the biblical passages, which is more historical in context. I will say that. I will say that there, not all Christians are the same. Um, and not all of them are going to immediately go leaping to the you're working for the devil thing. Uh, there are a number of apologists who will present arguments, and they think they have uh, reasonable arguments. I mean, you look at somebody like William Lane Craig. I mean, his, yeah. his whole website is, is called, like, Reasonable Faith or something like that. Um, and he Just, he's all about arguing and, and making arguments. I don't think I've ever... If, if Bill Craig ever said, well, you're just working for the devil, um, I think, first of all, he would lose all credibility with the people who were supporting him. Um, and I think that he would immediately recognize that, that this is an admission of defeat on his part. I, ironically, uh, Bill Craig uses a, 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 an eighth-century Muslim argument. Yes, the, the, you know, and, and very few Christians actually know that. You know, he this was actually does. devised by Muslim, Muslim theologians uh, uh, from the eighth century. Um, so, I mean. And given given that, I mean, this, and this goes to my second question. Do you think that because, I, and I could be wrong here as well, because Muslims might want to justify their beliefs in more in a more rational sense 
than just pure blind faith because they they will sit and want to prove to you that their belief is true. Mm-hmm. Does that does that mean that uh, not that I contend with those beliefs, but I'm just saying that does that mean that it's more likely to promote positive atheism in the Muslim world or specifically the Arab world, or is this is actually more of a guise? More, more, even more difficult to do that because of the fact that they rationalize their beliefs more heavily than than, than other faith religions would. So we'll let John vote first. Do you think it would be easier to talk to people who think they've been reasoned into their faith, or more difficult to talk them out of it because they think they've been reasoned into it? Probably more difficult. I, I would agree with John. <laughs> Um, I've said several times that uh, the the literalist fundamentalist Christians, the the redneck Christians, uh, which I'm happy to say uh, I'll count myself among the rednecks on many occasions, I think they're prime targets because when you believe that the earth is four to ten thousand years old, yeah, there's a really easy if you can get them to accept science. As soon as you yeah. show that this is wrong, their worldview starts crumbling. The problem with modern and liberal Christians is that they have rationalized away a lot of these problems and come up with a softer, gentler, more consistent with the world version of Christianity. The Catholic Church accepts evolution. They just think God tinkered with it a little bit, whereas, you know, a fundamentalist, literalist Southern Baptist might not accept evolution at all. And you've got somebody like, you know, Kent Hovind or Ken Ham uh, and Ray Comfort who think that evolution's a fairy tale for adults. When you switch over to the Muslim world, um, you've got or even the larger Arabic world that, you know, is dealing with the various versions of Islam, um, they have been, as you pointed out, in many cases instructed that uh, the Quran contains all sorts of uh, insightful information about science and and that these are proofs. And you have, I think that that, the saddest thing about um, the Arabic world and the change of this, if you watched Carl, not Carl Sagan's Cosmos, but Neil deGrasse Tyson's version of Cosmos, In episode five, I was sitting there with my wife, and we were so excited because they went and they showed how you know Muslim society at the time was the pinnacle of learning. They were inviting yeah. scholars from everywhere. They were sharing ideas, and then there was essentially. Now this is where Cosmos stopped. I was expecting them to make this point, and they didn't. But what happened? Yeah. The reason that this this entire area kind of settled into decline. Uh, one of the principal things is there was a Muslim imam whose name I've forgotten who said that mathematics is the purview of God and it basically yeah, yeah, I, I know I know about Muhammad uh, I know about Ghazali but I, I, I will disagree with the Tyson that he was the cause of the collapse of the intellectual intelligentsia in the Muslim world perhaps I mean, perhaps not on his own he wasn't the first what's that I, perhaps not on his own but that sort of thinking that uh, we shouldn't be trampling into the area where God is supreme seems to have halted kind of investigation into math and science, or at least retarded progress a bit. There, there is some some point to that, but, the, but the, uh, I mean, if you look at the vast majority of the uh, Muslim scientists, and very Muslims know this, they subscribe to a school of thought that doesn't exist anymore, a theological school of thought called uh, Mu'tazilites. And uh, Mu'tazila basically means that uh, people who believe that they believe in God but somehow the interactions of God do not affect what I do in my day-to-day life. Okay. And that's a fundamental theological thought process that allows you to investigate and, 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 and do science. And most science, like 
Ibn Sina and uh, Al-Farazdaq, uh, the, the uh, Arab scientists were of that uh, theological school. Uh, and the, the reason for that is that the, the, the caliphs at the time subscribed to that belief system itself. Okay. It's only that when they started shifting more to the orthodox view um, and the actual uh, Islamic empire collapsed uh, at that time that the, that enterprise fell apart. But you have to know that it, it, uh, it fell apart in Baghdad, but it was soon replaced in Cairo and Cordoba, which flourished there as well. I mean, I mean, the, yeah. the point is, is that, okay, I'm, I'm my objective, I don't want to convert Muslims to a- become atheists. That's not. I don't care whether people believe in God or not. For oh, me, it's I irrelevant. Do. I do. What is relevant? How, how can you, How can it be irrelevant? Well, it's. I mean, what is relevant is progress. At the end of the day, I want human progress. I want. I mean, if 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 that belief is going to hinder that progress, then yes, it's going to be an issue. And, and what I'm curious about is is how it can't. So if you have now, I, I understand that there are schools of thought, and by the way, the one you described within Islam also exists. Uh, in some liberal Christian traditions as well, that you know God's not going to tamper with the lab results, and anything that we discover about reality is a discovery about what God wanted us to discover. So they're not in conflict, even if they appear to be. But yeah. if you believe that that there is a, a, a supernatural being who can and does inter- intervene and manifest in reality at any point, that belief. Is has some thought process behind it, and if it's not true, then you now your brain now has a, a, a heuristic that leads to a false conclusion that might be used and co-opted in other areas. So to me, it's about expunging us our, our brains of as many false ideas as possible. I fully understand that there are some believers whose belief in God dramatically impacts their worldview, and there are other believers where it doesn't really impact it that much at all. But the underlying foundation for why they believe, I think, is still there and can lead to thought. So I do care about what people believe because our beliefs inform our actions. And, and I don't know that you can have... No, but you, me- you mentioned a key point, the difference between believing in something and why you believe in that something. Yes. I'm concerned with what, the, the thought process. The, okay. The, the actual, how you reach conclusions. So, I mean, for example, I have children... I don't go around sitting them. By the way, kids, there's no God. There's no God. I don't, I, and, that's and neither not, would I. not a useful yeah. way to talk to them. You know. Yeah. And neither, neither I would say, be. you know, look, investigate the world, come to the conclusion, but for yourself. Yep. Don't, don't. You know, you if you're gonna and if that's thought process is gonna lead you to believe in God, okay, but don't let that hinder in your progress to. And this is, I mean, the biggest problem I feel that. Especially in the Arab world, I don't want to generalize the entire Muslim world sure. because Tur- Turkey and Malaysia are doing great, are, are moving forward. It's just that the Arab world is just stuck in, you know, medieval uh, thinking, and you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I want to know what what suggestions you have to do some kind of to promote some kind of positive thought, as of course without you know. Being risk, risk of being persecuted, you know how. And, and that gets to one of the key issues. Uh, and of course, it depends, as you mentioned, that you know it's going to be different in different nations and different areas. Uh, but you know, when you've got bloggers in you know Bangladesh and other areas that are uh, being imprisoned or killed because they dare to speak out on how they don't believe that a God exists, if they dare to criticize, um, 
you know, Islam or or any religion, uh, that's something that's fundamentally got to change. Uh, I, I'm. You've got countries that are basically scrubbing internet access, which we were we were optimistic that access to information on the internet uh, is likely to change the world for the better. And if you've got countries that are scrubbing your internet access to the point where you can't get to the things that would make the world better, I don't know that there is a is a solution that either you or I could be a part of. It may need to be implemented at the nation level, um, you know, and I don't know enough about the interactions between nations and the United Nations and stuff like that to figure out what would be the right solution. I really would, if I had a solution, man, I'd freaking quit the show right now and just go work on that only. Uh, and, yeah. and then come back and tell you all how awesome it was that we fixed the whole world. But, but I don't have that solution. I mean, I, I'm thinking of doing some kind of, I mean, one thing I want to promote is evolution. And as you know, like, whether this is statistically factual or not, According to most statistics, up to 90% of the Arab world subscribe to creationism. Now, they don't believe in the young earth creationism the way biblical literalists would, but they would believe uh, that at least when it comes to evolution, that they might accept it when it comes to all other living beings, but when it comes to human beings, somehow it's special, even though the the mountains of evidences are, are there. Uh, I, I think my favorite kind of test in that area um, that I've I've seen evolutionists do. I just talked to Jerry Coyne about this the other day when I was when he was in Austin. I interviewed him. Um, you can line up all of the hominid skulls, for example, yeah. from modern to as ancient as we have, and yeah. the evolutionary biologists will see this as a gradual change over time. Yeah. But a young Earth creationist, or even an old Earth creationist, in many cases. We'll draw a line somewhere and say everything, uh, you know, to the right of this is ape and everything to the left of this is, you know, humid. And they'll, they'll come up with all kinds of ad hoc explanations for why they draw the line there. You know, and why, why does this one count as human when it's different from this one? Ah, oh, this is, you know, an aberration. This one had some kind of skeletal defect. Okay, but we found many of these that have the same skeletal, well, you know, who knows. So have them go through and draw their line where everything on one side is ape and everything on the other side is human, and then have them explain why they drew their line there. And do this with a bunch of different creationists, and then publish their results to show that they're all drawing different lines in different places for different reasons. And so at a minimum, they cannot all be correct, but they could all be wrong. And the way we find out whether or not they're right or wrong is not their methodologies, because their methodologies have led to a broad spectrum of different answers. And yet we, we have a methodology that would recognize and demonstrate that there isn't a line, that this yeah. is a, a fictional line that we've invented. I mean, there, there's a, I'll give you, I mean, I don't know if this belief exists in, in Christianity, but there's a belief, or I don't know how, uh, in, the, in the Muslim world that at the time of Adam, human beings were 60 feet tall and uh, mm-hmm. basically huge giants, which there's no evidence for that whatsoever. I mean, that's something that can, should be easily disproven right there. Yeah. Um, well, I wouldn't say easily disproved because, you know, we don't have a time machine. And, yeah, if, it, you know, just there are people... Just, we could just say we haven't found any yet, but they were there. You know, it's hard to prove that it's impossible that there were. There's just no evidence, there's no evidence that there was. It reminds me, like, of Kent Hovind's model for, you know, the earth encapsulated in water, and that's where the water came from. And, you know, uh, you know the Bible talks about, you know, slaying giants and stuff like that. Uh, and he, you'll even find some creationists who 
have bought into things that are roughly on par with like the National Enquirer or some sort of magazine where they'll show, oh, we've dug up and we've uncovered the, the bones of a giant. Uh, and whenever we've been able to investigate these and come up with a conclusion, they've all been fraudulent. Um, so, so far, they don't have any evidence for their proposition. And I think when, when they raise those things, instead of saying, you're wrong, what we should be saying is, we cannot reasonably believe that you're right until you provide more evidence for this. Um, I, I got accused of, of uh, stacking the deck against God. Now, first of all, I think that makes me incredibly powerful if I can stack the deck against God. And they're talking about in the way that I go about discussing uh, you know, the arguments from the, for the existence of God, that uh, I'm just not willing to believe the things that they're willing to believe. Well, that's not me stacking a deck against God. Uh, that's just the way things are. This is about this is the way we go about determining whether or not a belief is reasonable in every other area. And what they're engaged in is a bit of special pleading. And it's extra stupid because they simultaneously think that there's a God who stuck us in this world and gave us a brain and set up the way the world works so that we would find the scientific methods and reason and an, an examination of evidence to be the most consistently reliable path to the truth. But for the most important thing that he wants us to know, that doesn't work, and the people who are practicing consistent reason are somehow too skeptical. And it's not the case that the people who are believing with insufficient evidence are too gullible. I mean, that's just exactly. backwards. Exactly, and that's the point I always make with creationists, that, okay, we have all this evidence. Now, is it possible that somehow God intervened and decided to create Adam as a, as a separate line? I go, okay, it's possible. But all this evidence that we have, it would mean one of two things. Either God is, is fooling us deliberately into thinking one thing and then telling us something else, which means he's a liar, which means that uh, which means that God cannot exist, in which case religion would collapse, or the statements that were contained in these religious texts are false. Yeah. And that this occurrence never happened, in which case religion collapses also. Yeah, you've got to, either you've way. Got to, either way, religion collapses because of this evidence. You know, yeah, I mean, you've, you've got a god who's either playing the, the, an eternal game of hide and seek, or who's just fucking with you. And, exactly. You know what? What? How, why is that deserving of respect or admiration? And, and besides that, what reason do we have to think that that's the case? And if you're if you're claiming that your God is omnibenevolent or, or whatever, that He's a good being, um, then the idea that He's just messing with you is contrary to that. And as you said, the religion collapse. I, I got we're, we're running short on time. I want to try to get sure. to at least one more caller. I really appreciate the call. I hope the stream's working well for you uh, in yeah. Dubai. And uh, one of these days, I'll get back to Dubai. I will, uh, please, if you do, please uh, ring me up. Will do. Thanks so much. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Let's, uh, let's try to get to, to John in uh, Cincinnati, uh, who has a question for, for me and this John. Um, okay. Which, you know, while, while they're, they're setting that up, there's this, there's this idea that we're getting ready to address that may or may not be true. <laughs> right. And, um, John, are you there yet? Not yet. Almost. Thumbs up. I tell you what, John, as soon as they actually connect you, you just go ahead and start talking and interrupt us, and we'll get right to your point. Uh, by the way, as a reminder, after this show's over, we're going to get together and go to Chico's at 1304 West Koenig Lane. That's K-O-E-N-I-G. 
Uh, it's just down the street from the studio. Uh, I, I'm not going to be able to go tonight because I have a podcast that I have to go do. Uh, by the way, we're not locked into an hour. I think I mentioned this at the top, that one of the things that we'll be able to do if this becomes our continued permanent home is we'll be able to go back to a 90-minute format that a lot of us liked um, and a lot of callers liked. And so so we don't have – so let's, let's answer John's question anyway. Uh, John wanted to ask us why we hate religion. It's kind of presumptive. Yeah. Do you hate religion, John? I don't hate religion. I do. So, so we're a slight difference there. Okay. Um, I don't hate religious people, though. Mm. Um, I, I hate religion in the sense that I don't find it to be a true concept. I don't find it to be... Uh, there are benefits. Sure, we, we've pointed out before, religions... Uh, can offer benefits, but more importantly, people provide benefits that they then attribute to their religion. Um, I despise kind of all ideas that if they haven't demonstrated that they're actually true, and yet countless people believe them and act upon them, um, I, I have a huge problem with that. Yeah. So that's what that's what I hate is people who do harmful or destructive things in the name of religion. Um, it might be a it might be a fine point, but um, the, the, the religion itself. Oh, we got Josh in Nebraska. Are you on there? Because I know that's a little bit leggy. Hey, Josh. Hey there. Um, I'm just calling. I had uh, we celebrated my grandparents' 60th wedding anniversary this weekend. Um, and my family is a little bit interesting. Um, my uncle is a a young earth creationist um, whereas my dad is a little bit more of that watered down variety of Christianity that you guys talk about Yeah. Um, and my brother's also going to a Christian university Christian university to become a youth pastor um, so we have a strange family dynamic there because my dad already disagrees with my uncle on a lot of points but I've actually become an atheist maybe over the last year or so and uh, I mean you guys' videos have had a uh, strong influence in that as well. Oh, great. I'm, I'm always um, happy to hear that anything we've done or said has benefited somebody. Yeah. Uh, oh, definitely. Def, I was actually like kind of in a depressed state for a little while, and I uh, was kind of turning back to the church, and then, you know, you guys and like some Sam Harris videos and stuff like that kind of got me my thinking a little bit back on track. Um, so I definitely appreciate that. Well, and but, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know the same thing I let everybody else know. Uh, while we appreciate... Uh, that we're appreciated. Uh, the big thing is we talk, and it's you did all the work. You have to actually listen, think about it, yep. evaluate yep. it, give yourself all the credit in the world. Because uh, <laughs> in many cases, you know, it's not like I am expressing right. all of my original thoughts here. I've benefited from all the people who came before me as well. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I had an interesting experience because I recently came out um, as an atheist to my. Mother first, she's always been more accepting, and then later my dad, who actually works as a uh, music minister at mm-hmm. a church, um, it's a little less fundamentalist. Um, and then, you know, just by posting on Facebook, and so, I'm kind of vocal, maybe too vocal, like I, you know, I just like a little bit of controversy, but I'm, you know, in the same position as you, I think that these ideas are dangerous in any way. I don't think there's really a good way to reconcile them with modern society, but um, so by my family kind of catching those Facebook posts 
it kind of spread around my family, the, the news that I was an atheist now. And uh, my uncle is definitely the most, um, you know, the young earth creationist, watches Ken Ham, like made us watch Ken Hoven as I, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and I realize now all the fallacies and those kinds of arguments, the ridiculous. But uh, he, you know, said, hey, let's go check out the rope swing that I put back together. And when we got out there, he, you know, sits down on a, on a tree stump and I kind of realize what's coming up and he's like, did you know that one time um, your mom told my mom, tried to talk her out of marrying me? Um, because he had had kind of a rough um, time in college, you know, kind of got into huffing ether and some weird stuff like that. And, uh, but eventually kind of came to believe in God and, and whatnot. He also runs a pro-life business that, you know, makes t-shirts and buttons and stuff like that. Um, Right, so he kind of turned the conversation really quickly to, you know, I hear that you're, you know, having this skepticism and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty much a flat-out atheist. Um, <laughs> you know, I wanted to be blunt enough. Um, but then he's trying to tell me things like, you know, I believe the Earth is 6,000 years old and, you know, like there's no proof that it isn't. I believe the Earth is 6,000 years old as well. I just happen to think it's several billion years older than that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um and, you know, he brought up the topic of abortion, you know, because obviously as an atheist, I, I don't feel the same way that he does about it. Um, but it was hard for me because I don't know how to have a conversation with him about where I stand on that when he runs a business. You know, there's a huge conflict of interest for him to come to any different kind of conclusion. Yeah, that would be very difficult. Um, and I'm not even sure that it's, a, it's necessarily a good place to start. Um, because as yeah, much as I would hate to admit it, there are people who are secular uh, who are not, in fact, pro-choice, yeah. but they're wrong. <clears throat> uh, but that's, you know, when you're talking about these things, um, starting with, like, one of the most contentious topics, that right. it's probably a bad idea because you could ultimately convince someone that their religious beliefs, that their their particular doctrinal beliefs are not true. And you may move them away from a kind of young earth, literalist, fundamentalist. Uh, they may only move so far as a more moderate or liberal theist, theist. They just may not be able to get away from this idea that there's some God who cares about them for, for a lot of reasons. Um, and I, I'm a fan of the idea that any movement uh, in that direction is probably pretty good. Uh, whether or not it's good enough is a second you know, question. But you could ultimately get to the point where, yeah, I don't believe there's a God thing, and still not necessarily change your position on anything, uh, on abortion, mm-hmm. the death penalty. You know, you may, it's not like the second somebody says, yep, I'm an atheist, all of a sudden they're a libertarian, green, progressive, Democrat, pro-life, or pro-choice, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm-hmm. They should be, but they're not. Yeah. It takes time to think out all those issues, you know. And I'm having a, I'm having a bit of fun there because we also have a studio audience, and, and I happen to know that everywhere I speak and at every you know atheist event, um, apart from the fact that we don't believe in God, there's no guarantee that we agree on pretty much anything, including church-state separation. Which, of all the things, wow, I would think that if you're an atheist, support for church-state separation should be obvious, and yet there are atheists who don't. There are atheists who I think are incredibly uh, condescending, and they're in this mode of, well, I don't need religion, but these other people do. And I recognize the value of religion and culture, so we're not going to have, you know, I'm not going to support 
uh, church-state separation. Uh, right, and that's that's exactly why I came out as an atheist, is because I I don't feel like I need to keep it to myself. Or people like would say, you know, you're pressing your views on people. I'm not. I post on my own Facebook page. Yeah. You're the one that comes on mine and says, hey, we're praying for you and stuff like that. And yeah, I have to change the I, way I, I talk. I think about it's harmful. That. I've actually had you know trouble with the law in some areas that I think the law is directly influenced by Christian theology and. It, it's affected my life in a very negative way. So, I mean, I, I don't like to keep silent just because family, you know. For sure. You, you know, you're in, a, you're in this position where you want to be accepted for who you are. And a lot of people deal with this. In, in some cases, you lose your entire social structure, your family connections and things, because uh, some of these relationships just cannot survive these dramatic differences in views about, you know, God or the world or anything else. I just realized I'm going to have to change something that I've said over and over again because I'd say we don't make outgoing calls on the show, uh, and and now we do. <laughs> so, but but we only make outgoing calls to the people who send us a text to ask us to call them. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're only having a conversation with the people who want to. And I'm I do a lot um, from now through November. I think I'm gone two or three weekends a month to do lectures and debates at different places. Um, that plus the show, I probably have as many or more conversations with, you know, theists um, as anybody you're likely to meet. And yet it doesn't consume my life. Um, I still have downtime that's time for me. If I'm out at a restaurant, and this is why I wanted to talk about this, there was an episode of What Would You Do that aired a few weeks ago. Yes. Where they had a, a family out at dinner after church, and there's an atheist woman sitting at a table, kind of catty-cornered. By their praying? Yeah. yeah. And she's all like, do you have to do that in public? Why can't you just say that? Oh, my gosh. I've For, never done that. No, I've never seen anyone ever do that. I, I, no, I've never met an atheist who who would. That seemed like the most contrived yeah, stereotype. <laughs> I have sat at a table with the people next to me having a prayer meeting in a restaurant. And I say absolutely nothing to them. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't mean, dream you of all it. people would be the kind of person that theists would expect to say something like now, that. No, if they said yeah, something even to even me. Even the most militant atheist, I've never, yeah. If they said something to me and like, hey, would you like to join our prayer thing? No. You know, and, and I might, you know, no, I, I'm actually an atheist, uh, to borrow a line from Rebecca Bitsman. But the thing that I found, you know, troubling about this is that. It would have taken about 10 seconds to actually talk to an atheist to find out how likely this scenario would be. Right. Absolutely. But there's there's another scenario or two um, that isn't as outlandish. Because while I've sat at a table at a restaurant where people were praying and said nothing to them, I've had people approach my table at a restaurant to, talk, to come tell me about Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also wonder, not only in the what-would-you-do scenario... Um, I also wonder, what would you do if that wasn't a table full of Christians who were sitting there praying, but perhaps Muslims who were praying, right. or some so, other religion, yeah. and instead of an atheist objecting to it, have a Christian get all belligerent and talk, tell them how this is a Christian nation, because I've seen well, that shit happen more before. Yeah, it does, um, it does seem more likely that that would be the scenario. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to, I don't know that we've got a good answer for you other than what we had said before about... Yeah, yeah, I definitely don't think that abortion was... I mean, he kind of pushed it that way. And, and the odd thing is, you know, our, my cousins and, and me will be downstairs talking about these kind of things very freely. I don't try to start initiate the conversation. I was perfectly content with not saying anything. I just I felt that that was going to happen, and I was right. It was like an intuition I had that 
I bet that Uncle Mike's going to take me out into the woods and, you know, sure as hell it happened. And beat me over the head with abortion. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> well, thanks a lot right. for the call. We're going to try to get to one more here before we call it quits for the day. Yeah, it was great um, to talk with you guys. Have a good day. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, John. Um, okay, let's go to, let's do Michael in Alberta. <clears throat> As I think Michael and Alberta will have a couple of interesting points for us to talk about. Um, Stephen Blackpool, by the way, I'll address um, <clears throat> off the. Well, I'll, I'll just go ahead and address it without actually taking the call. But we'll we'll wait for Michael in Alberta. Uh, Steve wants to know why Matt, as someone who questions, accepts 9/11 like theists accept the Bible accounts. I'm an airline pilot. Um, well, I don't care whether you're an airline pilot. First of all, I don't think you know what my position is on 9/11. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's fair to actually say that I'm accepting it the way atheists accept the Bible. What does, uh, what does that not, mean, accepts I, <laughs> I, I think that what he's saying, based on this, is why does Matt accept the official okay. 9-11 story? Uh, I don't know where you got the idea that I'm necessarily accepting something or accepting it without evaluating and reasoning. Um, my position is more of what I'm not accepting, and I'm not accepting conspiracy theorist crap um, because it's not backed up by evidence. So uh, whether or not I actually accept the <coughs> official government story of 9-11 doesn't matter. And the point is I don't accept the conspiracy theorist crap around it. But, hey, Michael in Alberta, are you there? Not yet. Not yet. Oh, I, got a, I had a thumbs up, but uh, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a good thumbs up. Yeah, I thought that meant Michael was online, but not yet. We'll get there and get it sorted out. Okay, I think he's there. Are we there, Michael? Oh, we're actually, I guess we're not going to get Michael in Alberta. So let's go ahead and address Michael's thing, just you and I. We're, we're not going to do any more callers today, so uh, Ben can take a, take a break. We're going to do this discussion before we uh, head out for the day. Uh, I'm Michael in Alberta, Canada. Okay. Uh, I believe in God, but not the one you talk about on the show. <laughs> Which is the one we talk about on the show. Exactly. <laughs> this is a caller-driven show. I'm happy to talk about whatever God the caller's calling about. Yeah. Um, now, it's it's possible that, that he believes in a God that we've never talked about on the show. Um, I don't know. Hopefully, maybe we'll get an email. By the way, you can email tv at atheist-community.org. That goes to a bunch of people. We can't promise to reply, but all the hosts and co-hosts get it. We will try to read all of them, even if we don't reply to all of them. But this idea that somebody believes in a God we don't talk about in the show uh, is one of the reasons I wanted to get him on, is what God do you believe in? I, I'm happy. I've talked about all kinds of gods. Uh, bizarre gods that don't even make any kind of sense. Deistic, non-interventionist gods that don't manifest in reality. Catholic gods, Protestant gods, Muslim gods, Hindu gods. God is love. God is love. Um, we've had discussions about the uh, ancient Roman and Greek gods because I said that nobody still believed in them, and then, of course somebody <laughs> somebody called or, or wrote in to say that they in fact they, did. They actually do. Um, we've had calls from people who uh, can barely describe in words the god that they believe in. What I when I think I, I and I'm guessing um, I hear from Christians quite often. I believe in God, but not the God that you talk about on the show. But pretty much the same thing he's saying. And quite often these are Christians who say, well, you're only going after the fundamentalist, literalist 
version of God, mm-hmm. um, which isn't true. I'll go after whatever God the callers present, or I'll agree with whatever God the callers present if they provide you know evidence and argument. Yeah. And what they tend to mean are, are along the lines of you know, well, mine is a personal relationship with a God. This isn't evidence based. Um, uh, you know, I'm not a, a Baptist or a Catholic or a Lutheran or Episcopalian. I'm I just a- accept my personal idea of the God that loosely ties maybe to the God of the Bible. And quite often what I find is that they don't actually know that much about the Bible or what the Bible has to say. Um, this is the problem. I've said before, you know, you look at somebody like Westboro Baptist Church. They're despicable. Their views are disgusting. You know, with their God Hates Bags website and all that crap. Yeah. Uh, it's just everything about it is vile. But when it comes to whether they're on more solid biblical footing than the liberal, moderate theologians who want to get rid of the Bible, I would say that Westboro is on firmer footing. If you can point to a verse that says, you know, that if a man lies with another man as he lies with a woman, it's an abomination and they're deserving of death, that's pretty clear. Well, at least they're consistent with what they... They're not picking and choosing as much as... Yeah, and, and the ones who don't want to do that, which includes a lot of uh, quite often Methodist churches where you're even even the pastor is gay and they're so very supportive of LGBTQ issues and I'm thrilled that that's the case. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm baffled at why they still identify with a book that clearly says things in opposition to their views, but I'm thrilled that they have moved on to yeah. views that are better for humanity. I'd rather they alter their views in a positive direction than hang on to something. Yeah. But the question is, why are they hanging on to it? Yeah. The parts they are hanging on to. What yeah. is it about this that you want to cling to? Um, and there's lots, probably lots of different reasons, probably as many different reasons as there are uh, different people. Well, and I would say, to, to answer his question, we, we're not here to debunk your particular God. We're, to borrow a phrase from you, we, we want to know what you believe and why you believe it. Yeah. So... Call in, and hopefully you'll get through next time. And uh, tell us what God you believe in and why, and we, you know we'd be happy to discuss it. We, I don't, I don't know if you have a basis for saying you believe in a God that you know that's not the one we talk about on the show. Because if you call the show, we'll talk about it. Yep, there you go. And you can call back next time. And I know so we're not going to take another call, but I will at least answer this last question. It's coming in from Addison in the UK. Does Matt have a favorite magic trick that emulates a religious miracle? Um, I have lots of favorites that do this, and actually I've been doing more magic along with uh, you know my lectures on skepticism and atheism and stuff. Um, I don't necessarily have a single favorite one. There's some mind-reading stuff that I, I like doing. Uh, but I will tell you a quick story before we close out. When I was in Australia in March, uh, in Sydney, we went out to um, listen to some street preachers and engage with them and talk with them. And I had a conversation with one of them. I'm hoping to post it kind of soon. And in the midst of all this, uh, it came up that, you know, I do magic and was I just performed in New Zealand. And he asked me, well, these magicians on TV, is what they do real or is it just tricks? And I realized right off the bat exactly what type of individual I was speaking to. Because when I was in the Navy, I was still a Christian. But I would do, like, card tricks. And there were some people who would freak out and say, you know, Oh, how do you, you know? How, what's it like to have all the demonic energy flowing through you? And I, I'm like, no, no, no. This is, and then I would show them how I did it because I was terrified 
as a, as a young Christian of having them think that I was possessed by demons. So I would show them how I did it. And they would look at me and say, that's not what you did when you showed it to me. Oh, wow. They're so convinced that what they saw was a miracle that even showing them how it's done did not abuse them of this notion that it's a miracle. And I realized that I was talking to somebody like this while I was speaking to that guy there. And I said, look, I can't tell you how everything every magician's ever done. Because first of all, I don't know. Um, Second of all, I'm not just going to run around exposing things. But generally speaking, I've yet to meet any magician who uses anything other than trickery. And they're all mundane things, and, and, and the true secrets behind them are ugly and dirty and everything else. And he goes, well, what about uh, this dude who levitated on TV? Hmm. And so I said, what, you mean like this? And I walked about four or five steps away, around, turned around, did a quick little levitation. And when I looked back, his, I, his face, I kid you not, was like he, like he had witnessed Jesus himself for just a few seconds. And he started to mellow. And I said, stop. Remember how you feel right now, because you're ready to put me in the same category as the people who are you think are operating by supernatural means. And I said, step about four steps over here, and he does. And I did that again, and now he's in a position to see what's actually happening. And the look on his face was like, and I said, stop. Remember how you felt a minute ago, and remember how you feel now. The big secret is I knew something you didn't know. The big secret is that you had not sufficiently investigated this, and yet you came to a conclusion, and you were wrong. Isn't it possible that when it comes to claims about God, that you have not sufficiently investigated, and yet have come to a conclusion? And he said yes. So yeah, the... A little quick levitation is probably my favorite magic trick for demonstrating a religious miracle, um, at least with some people. But that's all the time we have uh, for today. Thanks, everybody, in the studio audience. Thanks to Mark and Ben back in the studio for helping to make everything work out. And John for sitting in with me. We'll be going to Chico's down the street, uh, 1304 West Candy Lane. And we'll be back uh, next week. I'm not quite sure who, who will be on, um, but we'll be maybe me. I don't remember. Anyway, we'll be doing another show, and hopefully we're going to continue making improvements. We move from one camera to three cameras. We've got Skype and audio calls and And YouTube this week. Yep, YouTube this week. So we'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.